Some sermons don't sit well. That's the title of the sermon today, and it's true. I'm just going to share with you that by nature, I'm a people pleaser. And I love the Joydit line. Now, you've heard, some of you have heard me talk about the Joydit line before, but the Joydit line is that beautiful and wonderful thing that happens after you've been preached this encouraging, uplifting sermon. And at the end of the service, I go back and I stand by those doors and you all line up to come and shake my hand and say, Joyed it, preacher. Joyed it, preacher. I love the joyed it line. I love to preach sermons and I like to hear sermons that motivate and inspire and comfort people. I don't necessarily like preaching sermons that make people feel uncomfortable. And I really don't like to preach or listen to sermons that challenge deeply held convictions and beliefs. And I surely don't like to preach sermons that make people mad. And yet in our sermon, in our scripture lesson this morning, Jesus has preached a sermon that doesn't sit well. Now it started off fine, y'all. He started off on a great note. He stood up in the synagogue that day and he unrolled a scroll and he started reading words written by the prophet Isaiah, a couple of different passages that he brought together. He was talking about Isaiah saying that I have... uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and I've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, release from the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom from those who are oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor. And those words would have been well known, I suspect, by the people that were listening to Jesus' sermon that day in His own hometown, in His own home church. They would have known Him. They would have likely been praying for the day when they would be filled, fulfilled for them in the same way that Isaiah had promised fulfillment of them long ago. And they would have been hopeful because they'd heard some of the things that Jesus had been saying and doing in other places like Capernaum. And so when Jesus preached that or read that scripture, they would have thought, hey, this is about us. When he starts talking about uh, the good news being proclaimed to the poor, no doubt they would have been thinking about their own poverty, how they were, many of them, struggling to make ends meet, how they were sick and tired of paying so much of what they'd earned to the Roman government in the form of taxes. And when Jesus was reading from Isaiah about captivity, no doubt they'd been thinking about their long history of being captive themselves to people like the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. 
And when Jesus started reading about Isaiah, talking about recovery of sight to the blind, no doubt they were well aware that the body often fails you and that the body becomes frail and we become limited and they would have been hopeful of some sort of restoration of their physical infirmities. And when Jesus was reading from Isaiah about uh, freedom uh, from oppression, no doubt they would have been thinking about the times in their own lives where they'd been treated unfairly or unjustly because of things that they could not or would not change. So they were really happy when Jesus started talking about those things. And then Jesus said, today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they would have looked at each other and said, oh, right, you know, we've heard about these things that Jesus has done in other places and said in other places like Capernaum, but now He's here, and now He's saying that the Scripture has been fulfilled in our hearing. Our hometown boy has come back to his hometown church, and he's got a special blessing for us. This is going to be great. And if Jesus would have just said amen right there, he too could have enjoyed that Jordan line in the back. People have been coming out saying, Jordan, Jesus, Jordan, I can't wait to see how this is going to happen. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. It's, it's going to be awesome. And, and then they could have made their way onto the Nazareth diner and they could have beat the first church of the false gods to lunch and wouldn't have had to wait in line. And everything would have been wonderful. Jesus didn't stop speaking. And there are a couple of things that we can conclude based on what Jesus said in that moment. The first thing is is that those people that heard Jesus' sermon in His hometown and in His hometown church really did have some sense of believing that, that the Scripture that was just read was about to be fulfilled in their hearing. But we can also conclude, based on what Jesus said, is that those people thought that this fulfillment was only meant for them. And that it didn't extend to anybody else. Or that somehow Jesus was going to bless them in a better way because this, after all, was His home church in His hometown. And they were chosen people of God. But Jesus kept talking. And Jesus used a couple of stories from their own faith tradition, from their own community. Uh, Stories that if not already recorded in their sacred writings would soon be recorded in their sacred writings. But certainly stories that would have been passed on to them through the oral tradition And Jesus Jesus used their own stories from their own tradition to suggest that oftentimes the people who think that the good news is exclusively for them don't experience good news at all. And that the people that they don't think the good news applies to are often the recipients of Good news. The two stories he told, the first one he told them about or reminded them about was about the prophet Elijah. 
Now, Elijah lived during King Ahab's reign of Israel. And the Bible says that King Ahab was more evil in the sight of the Lord than any other king had ever been before. He worshipped Baal, he built idols, he did all sorts of stuff that made God angry. So much so that God went to Elijah and God said, Elijah, I want you to go tell that king that there's a drought coming. And there will not be any more rain. The rain will not return until that king changes his ways. And so the prophet Elijah goes and he tells King Ahab exactly what God told him to say. And it happened. But the good thing is, is that God took care of Elijah. We're told in the Scriptures that ravens would come and bring uh, Elijah bread and that he could draw water from a brook to get his water and, and, and everything was fine, but the drought continued and the drought worsened and all of a sudden that old brook began to dry up. And so God came to Elijah and said, Okay, Elijah, I want you to travel a long distance and I want you to go find this Canaanite woman And when you find this Canaanite woman, I want you to ask her for water and bread. Now what you may not know or may not remember or haven't yet thought about is that Canaanites were enemies of the chosen people of God, the Israelites. They didn't like them. They didn't want them around. They were constantly trying to annihilate them whenever they posed a threat. And so God has told Elijah to go to these foreigners, the enemy, and to ask for bread and water. Some scholars believe that Elijah probably traveled as much as 85 miles when he finally found this Canaanite woman. She was walking around picking up sticks. She was a widowed woman. She had a son, and she and her son were about to literally starve to death. And in fact, this woman was just gathering up sticks. She was going to make one last fire. She was going to cook one last meal. And then she and her son would die. And so Elijah walks up to this woman and says, Give me some bread and some water. And the woman said, I don't have any bread to offer you. All I've got is a little bit of flour in this jar and a little bit of oil in this jug. I have nothing to give you. And Elijah said, go home and bake some bread for me before you bake anything for your son and for you. And I promise you that that jar, the flour will never run out. And that jug of oil, you'll never use it up. And the woman does it. And what Elijah said comes to pass. While many of God's chosen people of Israel were suffering and suffering and suffering because of this drought, here was an enemy a foreigner, someone that the chosen people of God did not like and did not want around having enough to eat. 
Well, sometime later, we're told that this Elijah's, that this woman's son dies, and Elijah goes, and the woman says, I'm being punished for my sins. This is why my son died. And so Elijah goes in, and he prays over the boy, and he asks God to return life to the boy, and God listens. And so even though this, bo- this boy's body uh, failed him, the Lord God prevailed with him and brought him back to life. And once again, the Canaanite, the enemy, the foreigner, the one that nobody liked, the one that nobody wanted, received a blessing from God, while so many of God's chosen people of Israel did not. And as if that didn't drive the point home enough, Jesus decided to use another illustration from their faith story. And he talked about the prophet Elisha. And the prophet Elisha and met a man named Naaman. Now Naaman was a general of the Aram army, which now would be Syria. And what you might not know about the Aram army is that they were one of the deadliest enemies of God's chosen people, the Israelites. The Israelites... And the armies of Aram despised one another, hated one another. Well, this general of the Aram army, Naaman, had an incurable disease called leprosy. And during one of his raids of the Israelites, he brought home a servant girl and put her in bondage. She became a servant to him. And this servant girl knew something about this prophet Elisha. And so he said to, she said to Naaman, if you would go to Elisha, I bet he could get rid of that leprosy. And to make a long and really humorous story short, Naaman does go seeking to find Elisha. And God cures Elisha, uh, Naaman, of his leprosy. And Naaman then wants to give Elisha uh, uh, money to pay him for what has happened. And Elisha says, no, I will not accept any payment. It's as if God's healing power can't be bought. And it further reinforces the idea that God's healing power isn't just available to the chosen people of Israel. The chosen people of God. It's not available only to those that have a special lineage or heritage. But it's available to all people. And Naaman is spared while so many of the chosen people continued to suffer. So Jesus' point, if you're scoring at home, is that the people who think that the good news is exclusively for them sometimes don't ever get to experience good news. And the people that think that the good news is exclusive to them may be surprised to know that the people that they can't stand, the people that they don't like, the people that they think are outside of the will of God, that they often do experience God's blessing. And favor is grace, mercy, and love.
Well, that's what happens. And I want to here to tell you that there would be no joy at line for Jesus that day. Because when they heard Jesus talking about good news to the poor, they thought that Jesus was talking about their poverty. And when they heard Jesus talking about release of the captives, they thought Jesus was talking about their captivity. And when they heard Jesus talking about the recovery of sight to the blind, they thought Jesus was interested in their physical ailments. And when they heard Jesus talking about freedom for those who were oppressed, they thought that Jesus was talking about their oppression. But when Jesus cleared it up for them, they went from wanting to hug Jesus' neck to wring Jesus' neck. They went from can't get enough to I've had enough. And they were intent on ending this sermon right away. They thought they had Jesus figured out. And I wonder, do we think that we have Jesus figured out in our churches today? Do we get upset when people get things that we don't think that they deserve? Do we desire God to be merciful for us, but then get ticked off when God extends mercy and grace and love to people that we don't like or that we don't approve of the way they live? Or we've decided that somehow they must be outside of the will of God. If a preacher or a teacher were to stand before you today and suggest to you that we have a limited understanding of God's love and God's grace, and that this love and grace extends to people and to places that we can't even begin to imagine that it would extend to, would we want to throw that preacher or that teacher off of a cliff? Or, as one of my dear friends and colleagues says, are we as people of faith really doing our job if, if from time to time people don't want to throw all of us off of the cliff because of our willingness to stand up for the love and the grace of God being made available to all? As a people-pleasing pastor who loves to preach sermons that inspire and motivate and encourage and uplift, I am scared to death to ask those questions of you and me here today. And the only thing more frightening than standing here and asking those questions of you and me today is the thought of having to answer them truthfully.
that really does scare me. Well, Jesus didn't let the anger get to him. Jesus was willing to confront their limited understanding of God's love and God's grace. And when it ticked them off so badly that they wanted to take him and throw him off of a cliff, I'm sure Jesus had a chance to run for it. I mean, he's Jesus. You know, he could outmaneuver people. He would have been gone in a flash if he'd wanted to. Jesus would have had an opportunity to avoid them. But Jesus apparently allowed them to take him to that cliff. And then Jesus didn't run. And he didn't avoid. Instead, Jesus just walked right through the middle of them. And he went on his way. He continued to say and do the things that God wanted him to say and do. And let me just tell you, church, it didn't sit well with the people. And it didn't really end well for Jesus. Because it was people that didn't like the radical message that Jesus preached and teached and lived that ended up getting their man. They didn't push him off of a cliff. They nailed him to a cross. I think I'll stop here. And after the service, I'll be standing back there by that door. But I'll understand if you don't come by and say, Enjoyed it today, preacher. I also would appreciate it if you didn't try to throw me off a cliff. I didn't write this. Take it up with him. But while I didn't write it, one thing I'm sure of, I needed to hear it.